first readings from Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 all the way to 11, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of finest gold round his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw this vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you, and stand up, for I've now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up, trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me twenty-one days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face towards the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I'm overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I'm helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. The second reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, 
put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. This is God's word. Well, good evening. Let me have my welcome. Uh, we're in Daniel chapter 10. Well, we're turning back to that. Shall we, uh, we pray? And then we're talking to Daniel 10. Father, how we need your strength to hear your words. This little vision that Daniel had was an enormous vision. But it overwhelmed him, and he pleaded with your angel to give him strength that he might listen to more, that he might understand it rightly. And so, Father, this evening, when um, we may be physically a little bit tired, a time in the sun, a hot evening, but spiritually we are dull too often. We need your strength to hear your word, a difficult word for us. So strengthen us, we pray, by your Spirit, so we rightly hear and respond to your word. Amen. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, before children were around, we went on a, um, we uh, paid uh, peanuts for a holiday to Lake Garda. And so we fully expected when we arrived uh, at our hotel, I genuinely, I th- if I remember rightly, it was one star. I take some pride in that. Um, you've got to be going some to stay. Some. And we were expecting it to be awful. And it was. It was genuinely the worst place I've ever stayed. And, uh, you know, it was sort of 45 degree heat at night with no air con. And uh, had they changed the sheets all summer? I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. The food, appalling. I mean, if you go to Italy and you get bad pasta, really. That's kind of unforgivable. It was a horrible hotel. Disco to about 3 a.m. We got no sleep. Lots of slightly intimidating uh, other mem- guests. I mean, it wasn't sort of the classic, you know, people competing to get to the sun loungers first. We'd happily loll and get to the sun loungers. They had nothing on them. They were just the bare plastic, slightly uncomfortable. But these plastic sun loungers, but then these intimidating brutes would come on halfway through the morning and say, you move, they're ours. And you think, oh, well, we're staying in hotel shambles. What can you do? The thing is, we had a good holiday, because well, it's Italy, it's Lake Garda, it's beautiful, it's stunning. You go to Verona in the uh, Roman amphitheater and listen to opera at midnight, magnificent. You go to Venice, which is also all right, but I prefer Verona, you can have, make what you want of that. But it's beautiful, beautiful. So in one sense, you take the rough with the smooth, it was a great holiday. Now why do I tell you that? It was partly because it's cathartic and I remembered how awful that hotel was. Partly because when we stayed there, we had a great time. We had a great time in Italy visiting the things you're meant to visit. Most of the other English guests just moaned and moaned and moaned about the, how bad the hotel was. And it was awful. There's no doubt about it. But to my mind, we used to sit there and think, what do you expect? You pay for one star? You kind of get one star. What do you expect? Why do I tell you that? Well, in one sense, 
come to a passage such as this, it is going to ask us the next couple of weeks, chapters 12 to 14 of the book of Daniel, what do you expect of the Christian life? And these chapters will say at times it is hard. And there are times when God's people will suffer. And if you don't know that in advance, if you haven't got your expectations clear, you'll moan or you'll give up. So let's just be clear, biblically, oh, there's wonderful things, there's beautiful opera, in one sense, in the Christian life. There are wonderful sunny days in Lake Garda, but there are rubbish things as well at times. There is hardship. In this book in particular, there's persecution. And see, we just need to have our expectations biblically orientated. God has given us these chapters out of a loving kindness because he's He passionately wants to prepare us for what the future may hold. If you get nothing else, that's it really for chapters 10 to 12. God passionately wants to prepare us for what the future may hold. Because he's a loving God. And he won't leave us unprepared. If you're joining us tonight, very welcome indeed. Daniel is a book declaring that the Lord reigns. And the writing is on the, oh, it's gone. The writing is on the wall for his enemies. It's inevitable. The Lord controls history, has planned history, will be vindicated at the end of history. The Lord reigns. That is the message that runs all the way through the book of Daniel. It doesn't matter if it's one to six and the, the narratives, the more familiar Daniel in the lion's den and that sort of thing. Or chapter seven to twelve, the visions, which are, someone once it's colorful and slightly harder to understand. The Lord reigns. That's the message that goes all the way through the book of Daniel. And uh, since chapter 7, we've had a number of visions. And they're beginning slightly long, um, longer, uh, the visions, in turns. Chapter 7 was one, chapter 8 was another, last week was a prayer. Really, chapters 10 to 12 are one vision. So we're looking at just chapter 10, really, this week, the other, the other two next week. But it's somewhat arbitrary, because we're cutting the thing in two. It's one vision. And it works a bit like this. Chapter 10 is the build-up to the vision. It's the drum roll. Before chapter 11, verse uh, 2, to chapter 12, verse 3, you get the vision itself. And then chapter 12, verse 4, to the end of the book, are, are some instructions to Daniel that flow out of the vision. So just so we don't lose the big idea, the big idea is this. If you just flick over in chapter 12, verse 9, here's the whole point of these three chapters of Daniel. This wild series of visions. And the application at the end of the book is chapter 12, verse 9. Go on your way, Daniel. Or verse 13, as for you, go on your way till the end. That's fairly unremarkable, isn't it? (laughs) But what God says to Daniel here is, the future is going to be pretty awful for you, Daniel, and the people uh, at this point in in history, uh, God's people. I'm warning you. I want to strengthen you for what comes in the future. And I want you to go on your way. Just keep going. Don't be unsettled. Don't be thrown. Don't be intimidated. Bad times will come. Just keep going. Go on your way. Go on your way. So once it's a fairly simple message, but God really sort of smacks it hard into Daniel. God wants to do that for us as well. A simple message, but we need to be bolstered, to be strengthened. God will go to a lot of effort to strengthen us for a future which may be awkward. Unpleasant. If you're Coptic Christians in Egypt, you're thinking, what's happening next? 
looks very nervous. Now, uh, that's the big idea. Now, I tell you that at the beginning because, actually, to be honest, we're going to get a little bit sidetracked tonight. Uh, chapter 10 is one of those chapters in the Bible where the small details generate all the excitement. And there's a description in the middle of chapter 10 of some sort of angelic battle. And it's the sort of thing that people get wildly excited by and, in truth, a little bit nuts about uh, on occasion. So even though the main motorway of chapters 10 to 12 is go on your way, the Lord is telling you the future, he'll protect you, he'll give you what you need. That's the motorway. We're going to go on to the B roads a little bit, just so you know, tonight, before we get back to the motorway next week. Okay, two things. Two things, then we're done. Uh, we'll see then in, in verses 2 to 9, a vision of God's glory. It's to show that God is with them. And in verses uh, 10 to the end, there's an explanation of God's activity, which is to strengthen them. Okay, let's look at the first then. A vision of God's glory in uh, verses 2 to 9. We get the, uh, the sort of orientation, first of all, in chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. That's the summary statement for what's going to take place in the next three chapters. But it's some useful information there. So we know it's the third year of Cyrus. He is the, uh, the, the great Persian leader who came and conquered Babylon, took over from the Babylonians in 538 BC. He left Darius the Mede in charge in Babylon, even though uh, Cyrus is the king. Do you remember him from chapter 5? Anyway, uh, we know from chapter 1 that uh, Daniel's been retired for two years. So chapter 1 told us that he uh, was a, a, a senior official in the court until the first year of Cyrus. So Daniel's in his late 80s, just to orientate us a little bit. What else do we know? It's the third year of Cyrus. The first year of Cyrus, he came onto the throne and said, Jewish exiles, God's people who've been ripped out of their land and plonked in Babylon, you can go home. You can go home. Cyrus said in the first year of his reign. In the second year of his reign, they did. Well, not all, because Daniel's still here, but a good chunk of them did. 42,000, we're told in the book of Ezra, went back to Jerusalem and started building. They cleared all the rubble. They laid the foundations of the temple in Jerusalem. They started offering sacrifices again. Uh, They had Passover. They celebrated once. But then opposition comes, and they stop. You read all about it. Ezra, chapters 1 to 4, describes all this. Until 15 years later, Haggai comes along. So if you're at the house party, we looked at the book of Haggai. It's that sort of time period. Okay, First year, Cyrus says, go home. Second year, lots of them, 42,000, go home. Third year, opposition comes and it all stops and grinds to a halt. So the third year of Cyrus is a disappointing time if you're Daniel. You've been in exile for 70 years. After 70 years, you've seen your people go back to the promised land and start to rebuild. And you think, yes, now we're making progress. Now the church is going places. It's been a lean few years, but revival is coming. All is well. And then stop. It all stops for 15 years. Now, the connection's not explicitly made, but the time scale is, is such that I take it when we uh, read of Daniel here, chapter uh, 10, verse 2, fasting. It's because the news has arrived. 
I think that's why we're given his Babylonian name as well, Belteshazzar. It's his exile name. I think we're meant to assume that it's the bad news from Jerusalem that has come to Daniel caused him to mourn for three weeks. It's come in the form of revelation. He doesn't quite understand it all, but he's told what's going on. There are two things to just pick out here. The first is that Daniel expressed solidarity with his people. So what's he doing? Uh, chapter 10, verse 2. At that time, Daniel, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all, at, at all until the three weeks were over. Again, presumably he's heard. It's all gone pear-shaped for God's people elsewhere. So he fasts or certainly has no decent food. No lotions to protect the skin. No lotions to stop you smelling in 40 degree heat. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, so he, he fasts and goes without all these things for a few days. Why does he do it? Because he's heard that in Jerusalem it's gone wrong. Now, I don't know about you, I found that interesting. Daniel's fine. He's still in Babylon. All is well. But he hears news from hundreds of miles away and he's so gutted by what's happening to God's people miles away that he fasts for three weeks and presumably he stays on his own because he, you know, that's the point. You have no lotions, you stink, so you don't go into public company in that culture. Now I read that and thought, how much do I care what goes on really for Christians elsewhere? Oh, you may do deeply. It's very striking Daniel cares that much. It's not unusual in one sense biblically. Uh, You have to come to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Golly, really? There's a lot of Christians in the world in a lot of bad ways. What can you realistically do about that? I don't know. Uh, some, I'm sure some here would get this, the Barnabas Fund magazine just tells you about persecuted Christians around the world. It's an extraordinary read, really. Did you know that it's, it's illegal to become a Christian or severely restricted in Afghanistan, Algeria, Brunei, Comoros, Egypt, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Kuwait, the Maldives, Mauritania, Morocco, Nigeria, Oman, Pakistan, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, Tanzania, Tunisia, United Arab Emirates, Yemen. That's just in Africa. Of course, then you go to, go to Asia, there'll be plenty of other countries as well. Golly. I mean, it's easy to feel guilty about it, but do you and I care at all? Do we ever pray for Christians who are being persecuted? I don't know. And I get this magazine, and my prayers are perfunctory, if I'm honest. Brief. What can we do about it? I don't, I don't know what's realistic. You can't pray for every persecuted Christian around the world other, other than... Dear Lord, I pray for every persecuted Christian around the world, which is okay, I guess, um, but not that epic. What could we do? I wonder. Let me suggest one thing. This will be new to everyone on staff, but the email that goes out, time out, we're just going to put a few little bullet points for one of the countries in the news about how the Christians are being treated in in Egypt or Syria, whatever, just one of those of the news. We'll just do that in the time out email, just three or four bullet points. If all of us prayed once a week, twice a week that'd be good that'd be an improvement on nothing look it's not prescribed here it is in the book of Hebrews but I was struck that Daniel showed and expressed solidarity with his people
Okay, that's, what's, uh, that's a little bit of a detail. The main point of this little section, of course, is the vision. The vision, which I think is that the glory of God remained with them. That's the point. So there's Daniel, verse 4, on the river. And uh, he looks up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, verse 5, with a belt of the finest gold round his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Daniel was the only one that saw it, verse 7. Everyone else kind of knew that there was something very impressive going on and ran away and hid themselves. But this was utterly overwhelming, verse 8. I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale. I was helpless. And when he spoke, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. And what's going on here? Now, some, if you were here, when we looked at the book of Ezekiel, probably about two years ago, some would remember, this is very, very similar to Ezekiel chapter 1. You've got the form of a man, these appearance of torches and lightning, a body like burnished bronze, a voice like the Almighty. And I think that's what it's meant to remind Daniel of, or certainly us as Bible readers. Ezekiel had this overwhelming vision of God's glory in Ezekiel 1. If you know the book, you know that the glory departs because God says, I've left Jerusalem. Here, Daniel gets this overwhelming vision of God's glory. And the point is quite simple. It's this. Daniel, you may be in exile, but I am with you. That's it. My glory is still with you. Jerusalem is in ruins. Rebuilding has stopped. But my glory remains with my people. I am with you. I'm about to tell you the future. It's going to be horrible. So you just need to know this before we begin. I am with you. I am with you. No matter what it looks like. Now the language here of this man, again some will recognize, it's picked up in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 and used of Jesus Christ. So for myself, I I think what we have here is a vision of the pre-incarnate Son of God. Jesus is, if you want it in simple terms, not quite accurate, but the man of glory. Wow. Daniel, I'm about to give you a vision of the future. It's going to be pretty horrible. I am with you. We just need to know that. That's a timeless truth for God's people if you're a Christian. I am with you no matter what it looks like. There's a vision of God's glory. Uh, Second thing, an explanation of uh, God's activity. That's what goes on in verses 10 to the end. And the point is to strengthen them. So uh, Daniel is overwhelmed by seeing a vision of God. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 9, he's fallen to the ground. So what does he need? He needs a little bit of celestial first aid. So what seems to be taking place here. Uh, I think it's a different being from verse 10 downwards to the vision of God in verses 1 to 9, there seems to be an angelic being. I'm going to call him Gabriel, just for ease. Gabriel brings the vision in chapter 8 to Daniel. I don't know if it's Gabriel here. We're not told that. It just still stop us getting confused if I give him a name. So with great apologies to anyone who's watching, I'm going to call him Gabriel. <laughs> now what takes place here? Do you see it is to strengthen Daniel? So three times Daniel is touched. Verse 10, a hand touched me. Verse 16, one touched my lips. 
verse 18. One like a man touched me. Three times he's touched, twice he's addressed and spoken to. And the whole point of this section is that Daniel is strengthened, verses 18 and 19. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed, he said, be peace, be strong. Now be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you've given me strength. The whole point of this section is that Daniel is given strength just to receive a vision that's about to come. Okay, He's strengthened. That's what's going on here. Now, two things worth noticing, I think, in the little section. The first is that his prayers were instantly heard. This is very encouraging. Verses 11 and 12. So this angelic being comes and uh, touches Daniel, verse 10, and then says, verse 11, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed or greatly desired or most precious. Any of those will do as a translation, which is interesting. The Lord who controls the whole of human history, who's about to give Daniel a vision of the next 400 years of what's about to take place in exceptional detail, says, Daniel, I control the whole of history. Can I just tell you, you are greatly esteemed. You, Daniel. I may control all, but I care about you which is, I think, very encouraging. Good to know. The normal believer trusting in Jesus Christ is no less righteous than Daniel. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So when we pray, the Lord will say, I've heard your prayers, highly esteemed, desired, or precious one. And uh, how quickly did these prayers get answered? Verse 12, then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your minds to gain understanding... And to humble yourself before God, your words, presumably words of prayer, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. We'll leave the delay, we'll do that in a moment. But isn't that good to know that if you're a Christian, when you pray, the Lord instantly hears. Verse 12, since the moment you humbled yourself, your words were heard. Isn't that great? The Lord hears and acts immediately. Be confident of that. Because we doubt that, I think, sometimes. Uh, Very often, uh, um, at home, we screen all our our phone calls. uh, So listen on the answer phone. Plenty of them come. And, uh, you know, half of them are window salesmen, that sort of thing. uh, Or trying to change your gas, that sort of nonsense. Um, So we never bother picking up the phone. Apologies. Uh, But so quite often, I know when I phone home, I expect, actually, that Kerry, my wife, is there, so I just leave these sort of rambly, pleady messages, you know. Hello, my love, it's me. Hi, are you there? Are you there? I think you probably are there. I was really hoping to speak to you about something this weekend. Can you pick up, please? Are you upstairs? Are you changing a nappy? I'm giving you time to get to the phone. It would be great if you could pick up the phone when you've done what you're doing, please. Oh, oh I'll try to call you later. And then you, <laughs> you put the phone down. And I, I, fear, I fear for myself, I, I don't want to project it necessarily onto you, I fear for myself, sometimes I pray with that sort of, oh, I'm going to chuck it out there, and maybe you're there, and maybe this is of interest to you, uh, maybe it's not. And maybe you've got other more interesting things or more important things to be doing. 
and I'll ramble on a little bit, but are you there? Because I've been praying this same prayer for five weeks, five months, five years now, and wonder if you're actually listening. Oh, well, I'll try again next week. Goodbye. And I can pray like that. But Daniel would encourage us, no, he hears. Of course he hears. He hears the prayers of his highly esteemed ones, his people. Of course he does. And he acts on them immediately. Gabriel is dispatched. I'm running with it. Gabriel is dispatched immediately. So do you remember verse 12? Since the first moment you humbled yourself before God, your words were heard. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. His prayers were instantly heard. And then uh, verse 13. There was warfare in the heavenlies. What do we do with verse 13? Uh, End of verse 12. uh, Your words were heard. I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Okay. Who is the prince of Persia? Who is Michael? What is this? And people get wildly excited. Some may or may not know, uh, some guys in some movements have, have built up a, a sort of very large theology of territorial spirits. So if you go to London, there's a demon of London over it. And if you go to Manchester, there's a demon of rain uh, or, or something. So that's very unfair. Uh, over it. And it, so particularly, uh, this is fairly prevalent. For, for much that they do is wonderful, but it's a fairly prevalent view in um, YWAM as a movement, uh, Peter Wagner's uh, books and theology. Certainly a, a number of years ago, I went on a, a short-term mission trip um, for a few months to Morocco with a, a mission agency. And the first major city we got to, uh, we were in a minibus, uh, we drove through France and Spain, so by the time we got to Morocco, we were all pretty zonked with one another. But um, by the time we got there, the first major city we got to was Meknes, and um, so we got there, great. Uh, before we did anything else, we were told, right, now we're going to drive around the city seven times and we must all pray that the Lord reveals the name of the demon over Meknes so we can denounce him, bind him, and cast him out. I hadn't been a Christian that long when I went to this and I just thought, oh my goodness, what are we doing? What are we doing? And I think now, a few years on, uh, 20 years on probably, um, with a bit of hindsight, I think now I'd say that was very well-intentioned. But forgive me, I'd say essentially it's it's pagan. There's no biblical reason for doing anything. such Prayer, good. But seven times, I mean, it's a good number, I guess. Denouncing, revealing, binding, cutting. You can't get that from the Bible. Now, what is going on here? So you get these princes in verse 13. Now, they do seem to be, in the chapter, spiritual beings in the heavenly realms, something like that. Michael, we're clearest about him, Michael is one of the chief princes. So, uh, uh, Chapter 11, verse 1, Michael is your prince. Or chapter 12, verse 1, Michael is the great prince who protects your people. 
So it seems to be that Michael is the prince or angel of the Israelites. Note, he's not in charge of a territory or a geographical region. He oversees a people because God's people are in exile. They're not in their homeland. So it seems. Who else have we got? Well, Michael and uh, the angel who's speaking, Gabriel, we're running with that, Gabriel, they encounter these other two princes. Verse 13, the prince of the Persian kingdom. And verse 20, the prince of Persia again. And after him, the prince of Greece. Now we know from history, this geographical area was dominated by the Babylonian Empire, then the Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire. So again, it seems that these princes of are spiritual beings attached to a group of people, the Persians, the Greeks, the Israelites. Not geographical, not territorial, just related to the people. So there is nothing here to support the idea of territorial spirits. This is a long way from us in the West, isn't it? And this is a sort of point you just want to pause and say, okay, we in the West, we are the product of enlightenment thinking, we like empirical, rational thought, and we, don't, we get slightly nervous about this sort of overtly supernatural. And of course that's true, we are one small part of the world, and other parts of the world they get overly excited by that. It's just worth in passing. Three practical little things I think we do with something like this. The first thing is to, to take away is this, look, you and I don't see everything. There are spiritual realities going on in a heavenly spiritual realm that affect us and we don't know about them. That is just, I mean, you get that again in in Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament. You and I don't see everything. There is a supernatural world and how it interacts or interfaces, that's a horrible verb, um, with, uh, with this world, we don't get it all perfectly. So we don't see everything. A second little thing, we have to battle in this arena, if I can put it that way. We do have to fight. So we've been warned in scripture recurrently that the devil is a real being, his minions are real, and that we must battle against them. Now, there's a negative way or or there's a wrong way of doing that. And there's a useful way of doing it. The wrong way is to become obsessed with them. Oh, the devil is a roaring lion. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. We must be scared of him. No. No. The devil is a creature made by God. Worth drawing up one or two differences. The living God is omnipotent. And the devil is not. The living God is omniscient. Knows all. And the devil does not. The living God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And the devil is not. Jesus Christ is victorious and has defeated the devil who is not. Okay, this is, there's no competition between the living God and evil angelic beings, just so we're clear. So we mustn't get obsessed with it and start thinking we denounce or wildly cast or bind or all these sort of funny language, which is nothing to do with the Bible. It's pagan, essentially, for you and me. 
So you notice in this little struggle that Daniel has, there's a three-week three week struggle going on with Gabriel and the prince of Persia. Daniel had no idea this was taking place. Daniel was not meant to, didn't name the being. He didn't bind the prince of Persia. He didn't denounce the prince of Persia. He didn't drive seven times around anything to find out the name of the prince of Persia. He was just oblivious. And when finally Gabriel meets him, what does he say to Daniel? Verse 19. Right, Daniel, here's the strategy. You need to drive around things seven times and work out name. No, no. Verse 19. What are you to do? Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. See, here positively is the way you battle according to the scriptures. Precisely the same way that Paul says it in the New Testament, Ephesians 6, verse 10 be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the armor of God. That is, believe the gospel of righteousness and peace and truth and salvation. And grow those things in your character. That's all you need to do. All you need to do. Don't, for goodness sake, get obsessed. What is the name of the Prince of Birmingham? I don't know. You'll never know. What are you talking about? Just be strong in the Lord. Believe the gospel. Grow in the, in the fruit of the gospel. That's what we're to do. So look, there's a whole world we don't see, one. Two, we do need to battle, but that is for belief and behavior. And three, look, praying does matter. I think we're meant to notice that Daniel fasts and prays for three weeks in verse three. This messenger is resisted by the prince of Persia for three weeks in verse 13. So I think we're meant to make that connection, that when we pray, we do engage somehow in these heavenly realms what should we pray? That God's people would know peace and be strong. It's the message that Gabriel brings. So you could go to Egypt and try to denounce the princes of Egypt and whatever territorial spirits. You could do that, but don't do that. Just pray for the believers there that they would know the peace of the living God and be strong. Trust the gospel and grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, be strong. That's what Daniel is told. Pray for God's redemptive purposes. Pray that people become Christians and remain strong as Christians. There's peace. There was warfare in the heavenlies. Daniel, uh, verse 15, is overwhelmed again. He's seemingly overwhelmed or discouraged by news of this conflict. Once again, he gets strengthened by the angel. And at the end of verse 18, he says, right, I'm ready. I'm ready to hear now. Uh, Sorry, end of verse 19. Speak, my Lord. I'm ready to hear the message. And next time, we'll actually see the message. Uh, This has all been the preamble. What do you take away from a passage such as Daniel chapter 10? Let me finish with these little three things. The first is this. We'll get to this mainly next week, but the Lord is sovereign over history. It's the big idea. He's sovereign over history. He's about to reveal the next 400 years to Daniel. Trust him. Trust him. Second little thing is this. The Lord is passionately concerned to strengthen his people for the sufferings they face. That's 
what's going on here. He gives, the Lord gives Daniel this vision of chapter 10 to prepare him for the main vision of chapter 11, which is to prepare God's people for the next 400 years, which are going to be miserable. He is passionately concerned to prepare his people for the future. And that's why these three chapters are preserved for you and for me. We need Daniel chapters 10 to 12, like we need the rest of the Bible, to strengthen us for the future, whatever may come. And God does that because he's a good God. Uh, Last year, uh, my wife's grandmother was about to die. So we took our son, uh, age seven, to see his great-grandma for the last time. And they'd been relatively close. They'd spent a reasonable amount of time together. But of course, before doing so, we said, look, you need to know, when you see Gigi, great-grandma, when you see Gigi, um, she won't be like you've known her before. She doesn't look physically very well. And she won't be as friendly as she normally is because actually her brain is not very good at the moment. And of course, like every parent, you just try to prepare your child so they're not thrown when the person they love is, is not as they're meant to be. It's just an obvious thing to do as a parent in one sense. We have in Daniel chapter 10 to 12, the living God is preparing for his people a future. Just, I'm just wanting to warn you, just so that when it comes, you're not thrown. I really need you to get this. Because what do you expect in the Christian life? Sometimes it will be great. There'll be times when it's hardship. And there's times of persecution. And I need you to know that. So that when they come, you're not thrown. We haven't even really got to the encouragement in one sense. But let me just flick ahead, because we'll spend more time on this next time. Just flick ahead to chapter 12, verse 2. Because here's what will keep Daniel and the people going when the times are really tough. Chapter 12, verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What's he saying there? We'll get to it next week in detail. But he's saying really this. Look, you'll go through some rough times if you're a Christian. You'll know some hardship and persecution. But the Lord Jesus Christ has died and he's risen. And you'll go to be with him. And you'll shine forever. So keep going. That's the news he wants to prepare us with. And we'll come to that more next week. At times it'll be tough, but you'll get there. Do you watch the tennis this afternoon? How tense were you in that final game? Uh, we were watching it at home. Everyone's got the windows open, of course. Uh, and some people are watching it on analog, and some people are watching it on digital. And we were watching it on digital, so you know what's going to happen about you know, a half a second before it actually happens, which is quite annoying. Oh, okay, because the signal takes a long time and some people are watching on the internet and they come in about two minutes later. The, um, <laughs> it's very tense, wasn't it? If you're watching it, I don't know how much you like tennis, how much you like Brits, how much you like Andy Murray, but you couldn't help be tense when you're watching that, could you? And when he won, everyone said, Ugh! partly because it's quite nice that a Brit has won after all these years, but mainly it's, oh, God, that was tense. And it's just a release, isn't it? It's just an emotional release. 
you imagine when fine, and Daniel is saying, look, at times you just, it'd be hard in the Christian life. But you'll get there and you'll shine forever and you'll just think, oh, yes. So keep going. Go on your way. Be strengthened. The Lord just wants to strengthen you. Let you know it'll be worth it. So keep going. Let me lead us in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, these are strange things in one sense to our ears and uh, are not familiar scenarios and uh, we struggle at times to conceive of what takes place in the heavenly realms. But Father, would we be strengthened by the knowledge that you instantly hear our prayers, that you care very much for our future and will prepare us for it? Would we have the right expectations of the Christian life And look forward to eternity when we will be with you and thrilled that we endured whatever this life threw at us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.